Good morning. My name is Bree, and I've been at PVCC since 2005. This scripture reading comes from 2 Thessalonians 3 and Luke 12. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Luke 12:15-21. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Got sucked in, forgot to plug my microphone in. Okay, uh, thank you, Miss Walker, and good morning. My name is Joshua. Thank you also to Craig for setting the bar and the expectations so high. I could never possibly live up to that. It's incredibly liberating, so thank you. Uh, also, uh, Zach, in case you were, uh-oh, um, Hordes Dairyman, current issue, November, the National Dairy Farm magazine filled with people who are either happy or sad about the price of milk. Page, thank you. There's so much stuff. Page 637, Milk Check Outlook, the butter price meltdown. Prices have been good, but now we are sad because storm clouds are on the horizon. So I will set this over here so that you can peruse it if you wish. Out of my way. Okay, my name is Joshua. It's uh, a privilege of, oh no, it's a privilege. It's a privilege of the elders to uh, preach occasionally on the Thanksgiving weekends here at Prairie View on a free topic of our choosing. I uh, was working with the title um, Deliberately Provocative, the one where Joshua hates retirement, because if I don't do my work right, and if you don't do your work right, that is the message that's going to come across, and it's not entirely what I'm going to be trying to communicate. So I need to have done my prep work and delivery well. There is a burden on you to listen well, have ears to hear, and consider whether what I'm saying matches what's in the book. So let's assume that the Holy Spirit has his part under control, always at work when the word goes out 
and the church gathers and uh, will pray for me and for you as we go forward and as we proceed. Uh, because if that stuff in Thessalonians is right, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then there's that parable, even more awkward, then we need to think carefully about what God is saying, what he's not saying, and how we should live in response. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can gather. Thank you that uh, as many of us are able to be here in spite of the um, rather disappointing weather outside. And uh, thank you for the work that Ben did these last few weeks in the book of Titus to uh, lay down a foundation of uh, we are not trying to become better versions of ourselves, but you have made us new. And now we can live in light of that. You have planted the roots and now we get to uh, bear fruit. And thank you that you are... Um, uh, changing us from the inside out, like we discussed last week. And thank you that you have done that, and thank you that this morning we can uh, look uh, carefully at one aspect of how we might live that out in our lives. Lord, thank you that it is finished. You have done it, and our weary hearts can rejoice, that our redemption is accomplished, and we can raise our shouts with uh, whatever voice we have this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's start with some congregational participation. We don't do this very often. In a moment, when the time is right, you'll have the chance to uh, shout out an answer to a question here that I'm going to set up. Now, today is Sunday. It's a day of rest on the weekend. In fact, it is a holiday weekend. It's been a few days since some of us have been at work, and it's been nice. We can get used to this. It's been special, but Monday's coming. Tomorrow is the start of another ordinary week. So the question for you to think about as you consider the responsibilities waiting for you in the morning, what is stopping you from simply not doing it? What is it if you uh, have got a job tomorrow that's preventing you from going in and saying, I quit, take this job and please give it to somebody else? What if you're uh, working with you know, small young people in a home or, or very old people? What prevents you from saying it's Cyber Monday, figure out dinner, call me when it's ready? Or if you're a student, hey, Miss Meharry, I was going to be in my seat when the bell rang, first period in the band room, tuba, first chair, but then, you know, I just, I didn't. So when you think about what's coming, there's some reason that you're doing what you're doing instead of something easier or less demanding and less stressful. Maybe you've already crossed over and you're on the other side, you're at your leisure, you're the captain of your own calendar, but for most of us, we've got tasks in the morning. Now, I want you to give not your answer, but the answer of some clown on the other side of the room. What is preventing us from just not showing up? Go. Money. Number one on my chart, I need the money. Bill's got to get paid. Nobody's going to pay him for me. Something else. Yeah, that's the same. Benefits. Yeah, got to keep coming. The money's got to keep rolling in. Something uh, non-financial, if there is anything. Responsible for others. There are people who are literally counting on you. Those kids need food and a referee, maybe urgent care. And if you're at the bottom of the ladder, propping everybody else up, everybody's going to come crashing to the floor, hopefully metaphorically, if, if not for you. Or maybe you're at the top of the ladder and everybody's counting on you to provide leadership. What else might we have? You make her do it. You make her do it. Okay. Um, I did not have that on my list. So sorry. <laughs> okay. How about this one? Follow through. You said you're going to be there or somebody said you're going to be there. And so uh, you're going to handle it. So you said you're going to handle it. So you're going to handle it. Another maybe? 
leading by example. Those people aren't going to do it if I'm not there to show them how it's done. I'm a responsible person, so I'm going to do it. I had a category that's similar and related to that. Uh, it's a matter of identity. I am a healthcare provider, so I provide healthcare. I am a teacher, so I teach. I am a social media influencer, so I do whatever social media influencers do. Or I am a pastor, therefore I pastor. Any others that people have been sitting on? Purpose. Purpose. That is a good one. There's work to be done. Nobody else is going to do it. It's got to be me. There's a purpose. It has to happen. I had one other one. Uh, participation closed. Keep your mouth shut now. Maybe it's just the devil you know. You keep on going back because the alternative is unthinkable. Or you just do what you've always done out of sheer inertia. You did it last week. You're going to do it this week. You're in a rhythm, and nothing has upset that rhythm yet. Those are all plausible answers. It might even be good answers, although there's hazards in each of them. Most of them boil down to... I have to do this. There's some sort of obligation. There's going to be consequences. Bad stuff happens if I don't show up and bring my A game, relational or organizational or financial. It's just not worth thinking about it. So I'm going to get in there and have at it because it needs to get done. But someday, someday the circumstances might change and it becomes an option, a choice. You don't have to do it anymore. You could quit and uh, it doesn't have to be you. This morning, we're talking about retiring, or maybe not retiring, or maybe not retiring just yet. My big idea is this. Faithfully continue the work that God's given you. I sort of tried to make it a little rhythmic. Faithfully continue the work that God's given you. We'll break it into six pieces, but first, some housekeeping organizational details. Ben and Zach usually preach from a text that usually follows last week's text. What does it mean? What did it mean for the people who received it? How do we live that out? This morning, we're going to be leaning into the live it out part of it. How do God's principles play out in our lives? Second, and just to clear the air, many of you have been open about your retirement plans. You've spoken out loud about what your near-term or medium-term plans are. You know it. I've heard it. There's no point in pretending that I don't know you know that I know. So I know, all right? We know this. And I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not talking to you or you or you, because you know that I am. I am talking to you, but I'm talking to all of you collectively. So it's not just my chance to lay into a few of you, but this is for all of us. Because whether you're retired a long time or mid-career or still a student, we want to shape our thinking so that it conforms more to uh, God's principles more than the world's. Because the world has its set of assumptions and expectations about how and when to retire. So I'm going to give you the conclusion up front on page 3 out of 13. Nope, 12. I did cuts. I cut it all the way down to 35 minutes. So page 3, you will feel societal pressure to pile up savings and accumulations and resources so that you can stop working while you can still enjoy life. And you will feel that if that is not the track that you are on, that you are not measuring up, that something has gone wrong. It's no longer he who dies with the most toys wins, but I have enough toys that I can start playing now and never have to stop. Neener, neener. But from the perspective of a Christ follower, if God has you in the workplace, in a job, And you're far enough along that you could retire, you don't have to. You hit 62, 65, 67, 70. You've done the math. You've optimized your social security filing strategy. 
But if you're doing good work, you're making a contribution in society, your coworkers are willing to keep seeing your face day after day, and you're bringing in more income than you need, then maybe keep doing it. That's what I want us to think about this morning. If you're making a contribution in your field, you're contributing to to human flourishing, and there's a a community of people that you have a place in, and, and you're bringing in income more than you need, more than you might need someday, then then maybe you can keep bringing it in and direct it to where it could do the most good. Now, this is why we have an elder preach from time to time. Because can you imagine Ben getting up here and saying, you keep working, you keep your nose to that grindstone, you keep writing your checks and sending in your tithes, because surely one of my kids is going to college, right? It's, <laughs> and Ben does not have that in him. And Zach might try, but I don't know if that would go over very well. But, but none of your tithing contributes to my paycheck, so I can say that with a little more uh, temerity than they could. Now, Faithfully continue the work that God's given you. Let's start with God, as we should. God is the first worker. He did not have to create a universe or humans, and yet here we are. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God doing a variety of work. We've got classic white-collar work. He is organizing, he's planning, he's strategizing, he's delegating. We also see God doing classic blue-collar work. He's assembling, he's building, he's cultivating, he's making. If you're fond of stale corporate buzzwords, he's doing green-collar work. He literally made the environment, he spoke the garden into existence, and it was good. If you like your buzzwords retrograde, there's pink-collar work. He made life. He brought it into being. He nurtured. He taught. He made the earth, and he made it beautiful. And for us, that would take a lot of toil, effort, and sweat. So classic no-collar work. That's God at work. And after that, he enjoyed a Sabbath. And so should we. This is separate. This is for free. Don't blow off God's clear instructions, because somebody somewhere is doing it wrong. Don't Disregard God's explicit instructions, a creation ordinance, just because you were taught to do it the wrong way. Uh, Honoring the Sabbath means something. So figure out what honoring the Sabbath means for you and honor it. We see that it was a day of rest after a week of labor. It's a day of reviewing and rejoicing. You and God have accomplished together. And then it's a day of recharging because there's more work yet to come. And we see that with God. It was creation and then rest and then back to work. He continues to uphold the universe by the power of his word. And he's going to do that forever. He's not just punching the clock until he can kick back. Now, let's talk about work itself. Every kind of good, productive work that we can do is emulating, echoing, and imaging some aspect of God's work and character, something that he does, whether that's creative work or protective work, uh, beautifying work, providing structure and order or providing security. If you can identify whatever aspect of your work is, uh, paid or unpaid or whatever, whatever aligns with God's character, that will elevate and deepen your work. I deal with a lot of emails and forms and boxes that we wrap and strap and, and send across the world, but, but I'm, in, I'm in the dairy business, right? We are providing wholesome, nutritious food. We are feeding the world's children, right? Psalm 104, God is the provider of food, and my material safety data sheets help contribute to make that possible. Whenever you exert significant time, energy, strength, and force of life for some purpose to accomplish something worthwhile, 
and make a contribution toward human flourishing. That is what we mean by work. It's also what we mean by works, plural. When the New Testament talks about uh, being saved by faith and not by works, but we have the salvation and so we live it out by doing good works, that's not just helping little old ladies across the street and dropping shiny coins into the Salvation Army bucket. That's that's how we do our work. And for a good chunk of the day, for a good chunk of our life, that's going to mean some sort of vocational calling and something bigger than just a habit or a hobby. So it might be for pay. It might not be. It might be in a workplace or it might be in somebody's home taking care of people. You might be doing this for somebody else or you might be doing it for your your own self. It's not just W-2, 1099 work. I, mean, I have work, Aaron has work, Brianna has work, but only one of us has a job. So this is somewhat for everybody. But when we do talk about retirement, it'll be career-specific. And we know that work is hard. Yeah, I'm emulating God's character and feeding the children, blah, blah, blah. But at its worst, work is mind-numbing, heart-wearying, soul-sucking tedium. Accomplishing precious little, um, working, compensated for peanuts, if that, and your coworkers and higher-ups can just make it all the more awful. And a useful way to think about things in this category, where we know that it's good, but we also know that it can be dreadful. There's a, a mental framework, a model, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Now, usually we bring this out when we're talking about humans being saved, God saving sinners. He made us, and then there was the fall, and then he redeems us on the cross, and we will be with him forever. But it's useful for smaller things, too. Um, money and possessions and Hunger and sex and marriage, whenever there's this tension, we can sometimes bring out this model and get some order. So creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. God created work. God made work good. God had work for Adam in the garden before the fall. God does his creating work, and then he brings Adam along to help, to participate, to join in, to continue and extend and perpetuate the work. Here's the garden, tend it and keep it. Here's the rest of the planet, fill the earth and subdue it and harness the laws of nature and technology to make this space look like that so that humans can flourish and that the world is rich and beautiful. But the fall, man sins and the earth is subjected to futility. Serpent, you tempted them. Cursed are you. Adam and Eve, you sinned. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now work is difficult, painful, and laborious. Now we have toil. Creation resists us and fears us, opposes us, obstructs us. We are subject to disease and disaster and injury, scarcity, hunger, thirst, lack, want. And that's just to stay alive for another day. And yet, we do bear God's image. Two quotes for you. This first one is from a young professional with a blog. I I don't think she's got any religious affiliation. If she does, it's not public. This is what she says. I'm trying to show my girls that my career is satisfying. Work isn't a bad thing. It doesn't have to be drudgery and frustration. A career can be an opportunity to give back, make a positive contribution to the world, and find personal fulfillment. Here's a different quote, somebody else, slightly longer. Biblically speaking, work is a good thing, though it is a fallen thing. Before sin ever entered the world, Adam and Eve had honest, 
dignifying, God-honoring work to do in tending the Garden of Eden. It's only after sin enters the picture that their relationship with work changes. Work becomes more difficult and less productive. We, too, live in a fallen world, which means we have a complicated relationship with work as well. It doesn't always feel as though our work is very meaningful, does it? That was Ben preaching on that Thessalonians passage back in August. Now, that's creation and fall. Let's move on to redemption. How does the redemption of Christ on the cross impact our work? Now, now, work has purpose and meaning that goes beyond just here and now. Without Christ, we can't see how our work reflects God's work. Because without Jesus, we are not on the same team as him. But now we can cooperate again in God's mission. We can trust our senior partner. We can sleep knowing that he's got it in his hands. And when I say cooperate again with God's mission, I don't just mean go to work and treat it like your personal evangelism field. You have an opportunity to be out there acting with integrity, shining his light, and being God's emissary to people and places that need his representative presence. And that's us. By doing excellent work, you get credibility and you carry weight among those people. Lastly, consummation. One day, the garden will be in the holy city. And that reflects both work that has been done and work that will continue to need to be done. It'll be there, the whole earth, for us to govern and order and reign over with Christ. God is not engaging in perpetual idleness, and neither will we. Uh, Colin Smith says this, In heaven, there will be no prayer or evangelism. But there will be work. You will be contributing creatively according to your gifting made perfect. You will be doing exactly what God designed you to do. And you will be doing it with fulfillment and freshness for all eternity. Life itself will be brought under your control. And in an infinite variety of ways, a whole new creation, we will exercise God-given redeemed capacities for his glory in creative and fulfilling work that will satisfy us and will glorify him. Third, work is a gift from God. The rest of creation does not share in this. The Proverbs gives us so much wisdom about um, uh, time and money and efforts and possessions. But there's a lot of look at the ant, look at the grasshopper, look at the flowers, look at the eagles. But we are the ones that bear God's image. We are the humans. And we are called to be like him in a way that everything else is not. He gives us purpose and the means to improve our condition and state, individually and collectively. And by his common grace, we can discover how to organize our efforts and guide ourselves toward prosperity. Fourth, we are called to do our work faithfully. We are stewards within God's creation, and stewards must be found faithful in the way that we use our time and our talents, our energy, and our productive abilities. Sometimes we hear faithfulness and we can spiritualize it or over-spiritualize it, like it means just perpetually adhering to the right doctrines and practicing the right forms of worship, which is good. You don't want to not do those things. But faithfulness includes doing good work, doing your work good. Carry out the business of your life in a wise and prudential and, and good manner. Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And again, that's not just doing good deeds and personal piety. That's you living your life. Chapter 4, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that what? 
so that everybody will know what a good boy he is and have a heartwarming turnaround story? No. So that let the thief no longer steal, let him labor and work so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This faithfulness is practical, not conceptual. And then last week, Titus chapter 3, this is the last quote from Ben, I think. Yep. Christians are to be dedicated to good works. Believers in Jesus, like us, can and should contribute as much as possible to making life better for everyone around us, not begrudgingly, but eagerly, being ready for it, prepared, devoted to good works. And then he left chapter 3, verse 14, for us. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so we can all be proud of how holy we've become. No. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We are called to good works and faithfulness so that we contribute, so we can give, so we can help, so we can be fruitful. And that was the problem with our guy in Luke 12, Mr. Big Barnes, where he had a bunch of stuff. And that's, that's fine, right? He does his work well. That's good. The land produced plentifully. That's terrific. He needed to come up with a new storage solution for all that God had blessed him with. Well, you better take care of what God has trusted you with because you're a steward. But then, what does he do then? <laughs> he refers to himself 16 times in two and a half verses. Me, 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 me. Mine, 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 mine. Me, me, me. No hint of loving God, loving people, helping people, hiring people. The problem, it's, it, it's not that he has stuff. It's the problem is that his attitude of heart is, behold, your stuff, soul. It's, that's not what we want. His soul is covetous. His mind and his heart have been captured. His life consists in the abundance of his things. He is stingy toward God and man, not faithful. Next, the faithful work is to continue. The call to perseverance isn't just for Jesus and Paul and missionaries. It is for each of us. It's not just maintain your witness and protect your integrity to the end and keep the faith. It's your vocation, your calling as well. The work that you've been given, finish strong. Fight the good fight. You'll be provided with a lot of good reasons to stop. The enemy wants you off the field. The world wants you to affirm its way of looking at stuff and possessions. And your flesh, bless its heart, it just wants to take it easy. But the Bible calls us to continue faithfully. So let's talk about you. You have your own blend of experience, expertise, knowledge, place in society. Those are from God. You are God's man or God's woman in your organization. And however dark that office or lecture hall is, you carry the light into that place. Our membership covenant still talks about your shape. Now, we might have picked this up from Rick Warren. It might be older than that. But our shape is our spiritual gifts, our, our heart, what is it you care about, what, what, uh, what gets you going, your abilities, the skills that you've picked up over the course of your life, your personality, the way that God has wired you and put you together on purpose, not by accident, and your experiences, what it is that's happened to you that these things together collectively can help guide you in a way to uh, target your efforts in a way that's going to be useful for others. And I'm maintaining that if you've got a setup that's working well, then think carefully before you set it aside. Don't abandon an advantageous situation uh, that's taken a lifetime to achieve. Because while there are great reasons to stop one chapter of your life and start something new, there are some fairly dreadful reasons to do so as well. Dangerous, even. First, the negatives. 
When we are thinking about life after work, what must we avoid? Well, there are obvious and classic warnings that we do not want to come anywhere close to. Idleness, indulgence, not leisure, but a life of leisure, frittering away your time and energy on nothing of any significance or usefulness to anyone, being so consumed with your own entertainment and amusement that nothing of value can get a look in. We don't want that. That is probably, hopefully, not too controversial. That's just Ecclesiastes in our modern day. Some of those Thessalonians back in August had quit their jobs and were a burden. They were mooching off other people. We don't want that either. And neither do we want to do any of this without thinking about it. You can float your way through life and float your way through a career by default until somebody from HR taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, your pension is vested. You're free to go. And we don't want to make major life transitions by accident and, and just because the, the actuarial tables say that you're going to be fine. Even the secular types will tell you not to retire without a plan, a plan that you've discussed and agreed on with your spouse. No surprises when you turn 65. That would be bad. Don't keep doing what you're doing because you're scared of what comes next. That's the situation I'm in. One chapter of my life is coming to a close. The next one is a little bit over the horizon. It's terrifying, but God will be there when we leap. You can also take my line of thinking way too far. Don't let your work become your identity or your idol. It's one thing to engineer because you're an engineer, but don't let engineering be the sum total of your existence, right? And don't let greed chain you to your desk while you slave away accomplishing nothing of any true eternal value. What will it profit a worker if he gains the whole world? but forfeits his soul. You don't want to be visited by three spirits in the night, right? Workaholism is an unhealthy relationship with work, trying to find fundamental meaning, purpose, and significance in what you do and what you accomplish rather than who you are in Christ. And worst case scenario, uh, take this to its furthest extreme, you may suspect in your heart that your place in the grand scheme of things is secure because of your professional awesomeness and achievement. And that is not good. It's the classic Protestant work ethic taken way too far. And Americans, we have self-selected for this for 400 years. Protestant work ethic recognizes dangers on both sides. We do not work for our salvation, but we have a salvation that frees us to do great work within the parameters that God has set for us. It's the same root and fruit, be who you are, that um, we were seeing in Titus all month long. Now, in my view, for what it's worth, the best case scenario for retirement is leaving one avenue of good work and finding another. And through your career, it's job to job, firm to firm, but then it's time to leave the workforce. And to pursue a new chapter, probably something you've already been part of, something that you've been wanting to be able to lean into, but you haven't had the opportunity yet, something that's bugging you, and now you have the chance to have not just the desire, but the time and energy to work towards some good purpose. Now, before we close, let's address a few realities. All of this has been assuming a normal situation of get a job, have a career, accumulate savings, and then make wise decisions about retirement. And obviously that sequence is not standard, and it's not even more than 120 years old. If you think about the greatest work of literature ever, Pride and Prejudice, obviously, Mr. Darcy, Mr. Bingley, even Mr. Bennett and Mr. Collins, these guys 
did not retire because they didn't work, right? And in that time, the people who did work did not get to retire. When Social Security was set up in the 30s, it was still a time when you worked for as long as you absolutely could, and then you had a couple more years left. For millennia, the basic economic units of society and economics was not the corporation or the sole proprietorship, but the family, which makes a whole lot of sense of what Craig read earlier from 1 Timothy 5. If the family is what you've got, then you've got to work to provide for your family. So this whole concept of how and when to retire from a career is new, and that's why we don't have explicit instructions from the book. We have principles that uh, we need to apply, but it only applies to uh, half of the people in here anyway, so I want to acknowledge that. Second, for some of you, This was not a choice that you got to make. For many people in Hamilton County, retirement will never be on the table because it's work as long as you can, because the needs are so big. And then when you can't work anymore, then it's in God's hands. That is a reality. It's one thing to defer retirement by choice. It's another thing to not have the choice at all, right? And so I want to acknowledge that and that that is um, hard. Others of you were forced into retirement against your will, either by age policies or or layoffs or just sheer inability to keep working, disability at any age. You didn't get to manage your transition, so it didn't go the way you would have chosen. That's also a hard thing, a potential source of bitterness or frustration. I had more to give. There was more work to be done, and it was ripped away from me. Now what do I do? And And in a sense, the encouragement is the same to those who are still working. Soberly assess where you're at and what God has made you good at and what you can do in the here and now that God has given you a desire to accomplish and that reflects his character. This was my grandfather, petroleum engineer, worked for 30 years, and then suddenly reorganization, layoffs, game over. So Pop-Pop poured himself into the Gideons for 20 years. Kids, kids. There was a time before the internet when access to God's word required an actual Bible. Now, maybe you had some stuff memorized, but in order to hear from God in his word, you needed a book. And the Gideons made sure that every hotel room had a Bible and every college student had a pocket New Testament and Psalms. And that's what Pop-Up did. I never knew him as an employee. By the time I was born, he was retired and pouring himself into the Gideons for, for years until he entered his time of rest. What if you've already been retired a long time already? Maybe you hear this and think, I could have worked longer. Maybe that twerp thinks I should have worked longer. Did I waste my retirement? Is it too late for me? Well, if God hasn't called you home yet, if you're still here, then there is something more that you could be doing. This was... My grandmother, can be hard to figure out. Uh, my mom was a housewife and raised those kids, bless her soul, and um, mother, church, ministries. When they moved into the senior center, she was on the um, assimilation team, helping new residents get welcomed and integrated into the community, and she did that until she was 90. But she didn't die until she was 95. And those last five years, she could not do much of anything, and she felt like a burden. And every day she woke up, she thought, Again, I woke up again. I have to do this more. Come on, Lord, take me home. But uh, she could still pray, which is not nothing. And she could talk. And one of her lifelong pursuits was helping young ladies find their place in life and make their way in the world. And when you're 95, everybody's a younger lady. So she still was able to do that and not contributing at the level that she wanted. 
Um, but it was what the Lord allowed her. And for my mother, taking care of her, that was what the Lord allowed her for those um, five, ten years. Now, I don't want to make this discernment process sound easy. It's, it's easy to look at my grandparents and see what they did in retrospect. But when you're living it, one last example from my family, my own family, like my nuclear family, and I don't think I'm spilling any family secrets here. My wife, Erin, is at a crossroads, and we do not even know what roads might go forward from here. Her time as an active duty mother and housewife is over, but there's... I mean, She's so young and she's so strong and there's so much that she wants to do and contribute, but her health is just so bad. Last week we were talking about the, the car metaphor and if, if she was a car, you know, uh, strong and, and beautiful, but just a lemon and not, I don't think that's, maybe that's insulting my wife. Sorry, babe, but um, so much that she would like to do, but we just don't know what's next. And, and we do not have this figured out. I don't want to make this look easy. So that's why God gives us his word and his presence and his spirit and his people so we can figure it out together. Let's pray. And band, this is going to be a short prayer, so hustle. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can turn to your word and uh, where there are places where we do not have specific instructions about aspects of our modern life. Thank you that you are who you are and you've told us who we are and you've given us your word and your law, so that we can see the kind of person you are, the kind of character that you display, so that we can model and pattern our work, our vocation, our volunteer work, everything that we do after what you do. And, um, and Lord, thank you that one day our work will bear fruit. Help us not to grow weary of doing good. Help us to um, receive wisdom from you and from your word about how we can be carrying out our duties in a way that brings honor to you and is useful to the people that we interact with and that uh, leads to your greater glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.